Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Father, we glorify your name this morning. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit reminds us of righteousness and truth and judgment and sin. Lord, that he convicts us that we might come to you, that we might repent, Lord, where we've fallen short of your glory, of your standards, and we can be washed over and over by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we set our eyes on you and only you. You are worthy of all praise, of all glory, of all honor, and you alone are holy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, he's good, isn't he? Only good. All good. Well, we are so glad that you're with us this morning for worship. If you're a guest, welcome. This morning, we're going to be continuing a series we started last week called Foundations. And we're looking at... uh, the essential foundation of marriage this morning. But before we dive into that topic, I want to take a look at the scripture at the core of this series, and it's found in Psalm chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. It says, In the Lord I take refuge, or in the Lord I trust. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We discussed last week how the bedrock foundation is Jesus Christ. He always has been and always will be. And at the same time, God established other foundational principles for humanity to build on in his word. And these are what we referred to last week as uh, both foundations, but also we could refer to them as standards or values that God calls us to live by. Nothing can change those. It doesn't matter what society says or our culture says. It doesn't matter how enlightened we think we have become. These foundations, these standards were set in place by God himself. They aren't up for discussion or debate. There's a passage in the Bible that says, uh, let, every, let God be true and every man a liar. We could all agree on a lie. It doesn't matter. It's still a lie. The truth of God remains. The first and most fundamental foundation or standard that God set in place after Jesus Christ, of course, is marriage between a man and a woman. God established marriage as the foundation of society in Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, and we'll get there in just a second. This foundation has never changed, and it never will on this side of eternity. If you have your Bible, turn there, and we'll start in verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God, and this, the word there used is Elohim, and that's a plural word uh, referring to God. And he even says, let us, he's speaking of the, the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, created mankind in his image according to his likeness. And that word image is the same as our word form. And the word likeness is the same as the word function or or also means function. So God, plural, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made Adam and Eve, plural, to look like him and to function like him. It's important that we understand these truths so that we understand how truly foundational God's establishment of marriage is. In Genesis chapter 5, one Through two, we read, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Marriage is God's plan A and there is no plan B. Marriage will never be outdated or replaced as God's only blessed foundation for society. Genesis 2, 24 through 25 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So this passage proves that God established marriage to be a perpetual foundation. It wasn't just for Adam and Eve alone. Look what he said. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Did Adam and Eve have a mother and father? No. They had a father, but no mother. Have you ever thought about this? Did you know Adam and Eve are the only people in all of humanity that ever lived that didn't have a belly button? (laughs) Right? They had no mother. God created them, yet God said... When you leave your father and mother, you will cleave to your wife and you will be joined together and become one flesh. That was a promise, a foundation set in place for all generations to come. It wasn't just for Adam and Eve. God was very clear in establishing this foundation. And Satan has been obsessed with the destruction of marriage ever since the Garden of Eden. And his strategy has never changed. I believe marriage is one of the foundations referred to in Psalm chapter 11. There's no question that marriage is under attack. Not just in America, but throughout the world. It always has been. But without question, we've seen the attacks grow exponentially worse, literally in one lifespan. In my own life, I can see the drastic change in this battle uh, that that Satan has, has put on the family and marriage. Think about this. Adam was alone on the earth before Eve was created, and the devil never attacked him. The attack didn't come until after Eve was created. 
If we don't understand this principle, the devil sure does. He understands God's plan for marriage and that it is the foundation that keeps him from totally destroying entire societies. And he's literally done it over and over and over throughout human history. Every civilization has begun its downfall when it abandons God's plan for the family. Even unrighteous nations start that went successful started with a biblically based family structure. And as soon as they started deviating that, that was the beginning of their end. I actually had a different message prepared from this point on. I finished it on Thursday, which is unusual for me. It usually takes me even into Saturday. But on Friday, God was like, no, we, we can leave that part out. And what I was, the rest of this was I was going to really get into some history stuff about how this has happened in different societies. And if you want those notes, get with me after the service. I've still got them. But, but I don't think any of us here this morning need convincing that that second statement is true. We, we're living it. We're in the middle of it. It's obvious. So here's the bottom line. Marriage between one man and one woman is God's first and best foundation for society. That's why he established it from the very beginning, and it's why Satan seeks so hard to destroy it. The body of Christ is the only entity on earth that can succeed in defending and promoting the institution of marriage. And that's because marriage is a spiritual institution created by God. No government or other religion has an understanding or the spiritual authority to properly promote or protect it. The body of Christ is the only one who can truly stand up for the foundation of marriage. And we can't be afraid. We can't allow ourselves to be shamed out of standing up for the foundations that God has set in place in his word. David's response should be our response. We're not going to run away. We're going to stand up in faith with God as our refuge. We can't conform to the culture by lowering the standards God has established by compromising or running away from conflict. None of those actions will solve anything. And it's those very compromises that have gotten us to where we find ourselves today. We're living in a day where what I'm preaching from the Word of God this morning is actually controversial. And it's honestly hard for me to believe that. But that's the truth. And this isn't just about the foundation of marriage. This series is called Foundations. So we're talking about all the foundations that are in this book, in the Word of God. And I want you to know that that it's the purpose of this message is absolutely not to put anybody on a guilt trip this morning. The Word's very clear that we've all fallen short, right? So we're talking about one foundation, one primary foundation, but this God's word is full of standards and values and foundations that he set in place that are as true today as they have ever been. And when we fall short of them, the the answer is not to change the standard. The answer is that we have to come in line with the standard. But what what is the truth that we know? We can't. But Jesus Christ could, and he made a way. And we can come to this standard in the blood of Christ and be justified through his blood. 
But what we've done in society and even in the church is say, well, how about we just lower the standard? It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Sin's not sin. It's really not that big of a deal. That's what the world has literally shamed us into agreeing with. That Christians, believers, are afraid to stand up for the Word of God. And we're going to get into it in a moment. The answer is not for us to go out and beat people over the head with the Bible and people uh, who are living in the world. The truth is, they're living the life. They're called the lead. They're doing it better than we are. Do you understand that? They're dead in their transgressions. They are living true to who they are. We're supposed to be standing in the blood of Jesus Christ, but we're not living it. And the answer is not to go say, well, if they'd clean themselves up, everything would be better. How about we start doing what we're supposed to do? We have to start with ourselves. The truth of God and His standard that has not changed. And every time I come to the Word of God, I find another place that I've fallen short. But I don't change the Word. I don't... Excuse my sin. I say, God, forgive me. I'm falling short. And by your blood, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I can be washed clean. And you can continue to sanctify me and justify me. And I want to strive to work to follow this in the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't conform to the culture by lowering the standards that God has established. But we have to confront sin and ignorance. And let me be clear. If you call somebody ignorant, they're going to be offended, right? I mean, let's just be honest. But the truth is, ignorant, I'm ignorant on a lot of things. The word ignorant means you don't know. The world doesn't know. We're supposed to instruct them gently in love and compassion with what's in the word of God. The truth is, a lot of the body of Christ is ignorant of the standards in this book, in the Bible, in the Word of God. We don't know. We have to come to it to be not ignorant of what's in the Word. So we have to confront ourselves first. But anytime we we confront that sin, uh, whether it's in the unbelievers or whether it's with brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to do it uh, in love and compassion. So what's the solution to the problem that the entire world faces? There's two things. If we applied these two things, the world would literally be transformed. The first is the gospel, the solution for our number one heart problem. And the second is marriage, the solution for our number one home problem. But the body of Christ is called to be the example. As I just said, not not being judgmental and and making sure that any time we confront sin, it's with compassion. But again, we have to start with ourselves. If you've personally fallen short of God's standard for marriage, you know, you, you may be divorced and remarried. You might be divorced and not remarried. You may be living together right now. I mean, there's a, there's a million ways that we can fall short of that standard. Again, the purpose of this message is not to put you on a guilt trip. God forgives 
He can forgive everything. The standard is that we recognize that we've fallen short of that standard and we come to Him and we repent and He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our righteousness and cleanse us. That's Romans 3.23. He says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Have some of us fallen short? Have most of us fallen short? All of us have fallen short. So if my wife and I this year, we're on, uh, this will be our 24th year of being married. And I'd, this is taken from another pastor that I heard. I'll just adjust it for our years. That if it wasn't for legalism, we would have probably been divorced before we were married five years. Legalism saved our marriage because we knew that God's word says you're supposed to stay married. But we didn't have a healthy marriage that put us in a place where we desired to continue to be in that relationship. And it was at that point that we reached out. We got help. We got counseling. And, and God started to change and work in our marriage. And I would encourage you, if you're in a place in your marriage that you need help, get help. Don't try to do it alone. And don't wait. That was one of the other things that we talked about when we did go is uh, we, we could have gone so much sooner and gotten help so much sooner. And over the years, we've gone over and over again whenever we needed that kind of help, whenever we needed somebody else's input because our heart is to improve our marriage and to have a godly marriage. We need to be there for one another. We need to reach out. We need to get help. All that to say, so we haven't experienced divorce. Great for us. You know how many more standards I've fallen short of? That's one thing in all of the Word of God that I haven't fallen in. We've all fall short of the glory of God. The point of this message is for us to understand that God's standards are true. His foundations are true. Whatever topic, whether we're talking about marriage or life or relationships with others, whether we're supposed to encourage people, we're supposed to love people, all the different things that we're called to do, it's saying His standards are true and they don't change. And when we fall short of them, we acknowledge it. And we come to Him in repentance. We ask for forgiveness and we seek Him to change us and to cover us of that sin and forgive us. And His Word says over and over, He is faithful. He will forgive us. But we have to come to Him in repentance. It's not us changing the standard. That's not an option. That's what the enemy wants us to believe. That's what uh, the world wants us to believe, is we can just change the standard. If we can just change the standard, everything will be okay. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. So how do we defend marriage without being judgmental? How do we keep ourselves from just pointing our fingers at everyone else and saying, well, if they'd only change, everything would be better? That's not how the gospel works. You know what the word gospel means? It means good news. Believe it or not, this may sound like a tough message, but this is all good news. Our sin's been paid for. There's a way out. There's a way to redemption. There's a way to transformation. And we have to start with ourselves. 
The best witness that we can have for marriage is having a healthy marriage built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about Jesus' parable of building on the rock or on the sand. We're going to read it again because I think it's so important here. Matthew seven twenty four through 27, Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If we as the body of Christ will build our marriages on the foundation rock of Jesus Christ, the world around us will notice. There will be a difference. Our marriage will be a witness to them. Does that mean we won't have problems? Of course not. Jesus literally just said, the rain will fall. The floods will come. The wind will blow. It will beat on your house. But if you are built and founded on the rock of Jesus Christ, you will stand. Your marriage will stand. Your children will stand. Anything that we build on the rock of Jesus Christ will stand. But if we build our marriage on the sand, the, the rain's going to fall, the floods are going to come, the wind's going to blow and beat on our house, and great will be its fall. It's guaranteed. We aren't doing anyone a favor when we pat them on the back and say, wow, that's a great house you're building on the sand. It's not encouraging. It's not doing them any good. And it goes for believers as well as unbelievers. And it goes for ourselves. We're not doing ourselves any favor when we excuse our sin. When we excuse the places in God's Word that we're falling short of His standards. When we say, you know what, that's on the sand, but it still looks pretty good. I've built a pretty good house there. The rain's going to fall, the wind's going to blow, the flood's going to come, and it's going to fall. And it doesn't matter how many times we try to rebuild it, if we're putting it on any foundation other than Jesus Christ and His Word, it's going to fall. We're not doing ourselves any favors. We have to look at our own lives. And when we find something that's been built on the sand, an area of our life that we're falling short of God's standards, an area of our life where we're living in sin, we have to repent and acknowledge the sin, the falling short that we've done and trust that Jesus Christ's blood will cover it and redeem us and restore us and transform us and justify us and sanctify us. He does all those things, but only when we come to His standard and admit that we're falling short, not when we bring the standard down. The body of Christ isn't being the body of Christ if we don't confront the sin in our own life first. 
We're not being loving or kind or tolerant or any other lie that the enemy tries to shame us in into submission with. When those around us are just patted on the back because they're living in sin and we don't want to say anything. Again, that's not for the unbelievers out there. We do that in the body. We do that in our own family. We do that in our own life. And we justify sin. That's one sin that God can't forgive. If we're justifying sin in our life, there's no way that we can repent of it. And Jesus told us what will happen. Everything they build, everything we build that isn't built on the foundational rock of Jesus Christ is going to fall. And great will be its fall. It's love, it's compassion, even for ourselves to deal with the sin in our own life. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7 to take the plank out of our own eye before we go digging around in someone else's eye looking for a speck. Again, this message isn't to give us permission to go on a street corner and shout to all the sinners. It's so that we can get our life right, that we can come to God and get our life and our marriage and our homes in order. That we can have a testimony that people could look and say, something is different about them. In another series, we talked about the passage where uh, Paul says, people should be coming to us and asking us about our faith because they see a difference. When's the last time somebody asked you why your life is different? I promise you, if we are rooted and everything in our life is built on Jesus Christ, they're going to ask. Second Timothy 2 Two gives a real clear statement about if we're going to reach out to others, how to do that. And it's not what we see most of the time or think of maybe when we think of evangelism. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We as the body of Christ have to stand up and proactively address the real foundational problem. The first two steps are with the gospel and by upholding God's foundational standard of marriage. But we have to have patience and gentleness and love, and compassion. And we have to start with ourselves first. The lesson of Psalm 11 is clear. The enemy is trying to destroy the foundations that God has established. Everyone around us tells us uh, to run and hide so that we can stay safe. But everything will literally be destroyed if we run and hide. We're called to find our refuge and our hope in the Lord and stand in faith with Him. Not just to defend the foundations that He put in place, but first and foremost, to live in them in the power of Jesus Christ. 
I don't think any of us have to look very far to find a structure in our own life that we've built on the sand. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's an area of our life that we've held back from God. You've heard God's voice. You've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit talking to you, but you've just held back. I urge you this morning to submit it to Him. Anything that you've kept on the sand, any structure that you can look around and you know it's built on the sand, let it fall today. And let God in His power, in His love, in the love of Christ, help you start rebuilding it on the rock of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. I was reminded in the worship in the second service that God's... He's not looking at us trying... just. Wanting to smack you over the head. He doesn't want to judge you. That's not his heart. The story of the prodigal son, the prodigal's running away. He's doing everything that he can to get away from the father. And you know what he's reminded of? He's reminded of the standards. He's sitting in a pig pen, eating scraps. And he says, you know what? In my father's house, The servants are better off than I am. And after he took everything the father had to give, after he squandered it on women and prostitutes and just drunkenness, and after all the friends that were around him only for his father's provision, after that was all gone and he'd been abandoned, when he goes home, what's the father's response? And not only this, he runs to him. He runs to him and he embraces him and he says, kill the cat, fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. He didn't even bring up any of the past. The fact that he came home was enough because his heart had changed. That's what we need. We need our heart to change. To know what the truth is. To know that we can't do it. And to come to Jesus Christ with a changed heart and say, God, forgive me. And as soon as we turn to Him, He's going to run to us. And embrace us. And love us. And when we stumble and fall, He'll pick us up and we'll go again. And when we stumble and fall, He'll pick us up and we go again. But we don't lower the standard. We come to the standard and we repent of where we've fallen short in sin. It really is sin. But He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, start with me. Start with me, Lord. Forgive me of every standard that I have fallen short of. Father, I repent. I make no justification for any sin of anything in my life that has fallen short of your standard. Forgive me. Start with my marriage. Start with my family. Start with this house. Start with the body of Christ, Lord. 
We're seeing signs you started in Kentucky. You're coming and all as it takes is for you to show up. Father, we want to have a place that welcomes you to show up. Lord, that our hearts would be in a place that anything that the Holy Spirit convicts us of, Lord, that we'll be quick to repent of, quick to give it to you, quick to take it off the sand and put it on the rock of Jesus Christ. There's a ministry team that will be in the back and the front. The altar's open if you want to come and pray. We're going to sing song and and worship as we close, but we're going to have time for you to respond this morning in any way that the Lord has put on your heart to respond.
when the Lord led the people out of Egypt, this is not original with me, it's just, it's came to my heart as Pastor Chris was closing. He led them and he brought them to a place called Gilgal. Gilgal means the reproach has been rolled away. And every time they would leave and go somewhere else, God would bring them back to Gilgal. The reproach has rolled away. And every time they'd drift off, he'd bring them back to Gilgal. Because he wanted to so implant into them the identity that the reproach has been rolled away. So they came home to Gilgal. I think the Lord is inviting his church to come home. The reproach is rolled away. Come back home to your house. Come back home to your marriage. Come back home to those areas. You know your identity's there. Come back home. Come back to Gilgal. You are forgiven. The reproach is rolled away. Trust Him. Let's become an example to our community that we are a people that we know what we have been, but we know the reproach has been rolled away by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship Him. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Declare that. I will. for my home. I thank you for my marriage. I thank you for what you've given me and my wife and my family and my grandchildren. And God, I want that for the world. I want them to know the peace and the joy and the reality of a blessed life. But Lord, I need for that to be true. I need you to continue to bless my house. I pray for the blessing of the houses that are represented in this congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would bring back the reality of your foundation, your truth, your love, your grace, your peace. And the Holy Spirit, we invite you into our house today to fill it again, fill it afresh. Overwhelm us with your presence and your power and with your truth. Remind us that we are founded on your love, on your grace. And Lord, lead us into our communities, in our jobs, in our places, in school, everywhere we are. May we become living examples of a people who know their God. Lord, we repent 
and we trust you. Now bless us as we go. For the name of Jesus' sake. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. A few quick announcements for you. Uh, One for the men, one for the ladies. Men, this is your last and final warning. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. Um, You've got about 24 hours to come up with an idea and execute. So make that happen. If you don't, uh, you will be the subject of discussion on Saturday morning's Women's Breakfast Social that's happening at 8.30 here in the Fellowship Hall. So... Ladies, the monthly women's breakfast social. Doors open at 8.30. Y'all come to that. Thank you for listening to this week's message.